Updates to Nursing Home Visitation Guidelines, a conversation with Penny Ives. All right, so good afternoon, and uh, welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19 related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is particularly geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who is interested to attend. During today's webinar, we will be talking about recent updates to nursing home visitation and testing guidelines. Next week, we will be discussing myths about COVID-19 vaccination. My name is Kathy Caudill, and I'm a communication specialist with Quality Insights. And without further ado, I will get us started. On today's episode, we are talking with Penny Imes from our Quality Insights team. She is a quality improvement specialist at Quality Insights. She started her nursing career in acute care before moving into long-term care. Her positions in long-term care have included staff development, dementia unit manager, registered nurse assessment coordinator, and director of nursing. And she found her perfect combination for all of that here at Quality Insights, where she is able to work in quality improvement with long-term care nursing homes. So welcome, Penny, and thank you for joining us today to talk about the latest visitation and testing guidelines for nursing homes amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you, Kathy. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> All right, Penny. So we know that earlier this month, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services updated its guidance on visitation and testing for COVID-19 in nursing homes. First, let's talk about visitation guidance. Prior to the update, what was the guidance on visitation? The original guidance, and this is the CMS memo, QSO 2039 Nursing Home. As we all know, when the COVID outbreak was at its peak in nursing homes, indoor visitation was suspended to, as a way to protect residents. And then we all learned during this period of time that residents were experiencing isolation, anxiety, and depression from not being able to visit with family and friends. So as soon as vaccines were developed and approved for use, the nursing home guidance was updated to allow the visitation to start occurring again. And it, with the guidance, it was still the responsibility of nursing homes to maintain infection prevention practices. So the initial guidance stated that if a visitor, resident, or their representative is aware of the risk associated with visitation, and the visit occurs in a manner that doesn't place other residents at risk, for instance, inside the resident's room, then the resident must be allowed to receive visitors as he or she chooses. And there were still some core principles of infection prevention that nursing homes had to maintain that applied to visitors. And those were things like making sure that signage uh, regarding infection and infection prevention practices were placed around the facility where they could easily be seen. Um, visitors needed should be educated on infection control practices such as hand washing or the use of hand sanitizers, use of masks, the correct use of masks, and then physical distancing. And along with understanding when not to visit if they were positive of COVID or still within the timeframe for potentially spreading the virus. And this is where the screening process by the nursing home came in to check on all of these things and make sure that the visitors were educated. The original guidance also focused on opening up the indoor visitation while you still practice physical distancing. And then there was limitations to large numbers of people along with limitations to where the visitation could occur. And that was very much, and still is at this 
discretion at the nursing home based on your facility layout. And while nursing home staff can't ask visitors for proof of vaccination, the guidance was for them to offer vaccinations and testing to family members. Um, and this is also where some of the changes we're going to talk about today really started with a focus on that community level of transmission, because a substantial to high level of transmission within a county required all residents and visitors, regardless of their vaccination status, to have to wear masks and physically distance. Um, although we know, you know, when residents and visitors were alone, especially in the room, sometimes personal choice allowed them to take those masks off. So that was really a very brief summary of what the original um, memo was. So now that we have some background, uh, what is the new guidance on visitation in nursing homes? Yeah, the updated revisions from earlier this month on March 10th, to be exact, they really, they were really sort of minor um, as far as one of them was just really changing the language, the term vaccinated. Um, and then they also updated the visitor screening and quarantine criteria. So while the revision within the memo is minor, there's a lot that comes into play with, with the screening and quarantine. And all the other things that were originally in the memo, you know, the infection prevention practices, the visitor education, that indoor visitation, and then the education about the vaccines for visitors is still in place. Uh, the change in language was to replace that term vaccinated with what we now say is up to date with all recommended COVID-19 vaccine doses. And then they un deleted the term unvaccinated. And what that means is up to date means that the person has received all their recommended COVID vaccines, including any booster dose when they're eligible for it. And when you look at the revised memo, you'll see this change in language throughout um, the revised CMS memo. And then the other part of that, besides the change in language from, you know, the from the unvaccinated and vaccinated to up to date with vaccines is the updated visitor screening and quarantine criteria. So for visitors who have a positive viral test for COVID-19 or symptoms of COVID-19 or currently meet the criteria for quarantine should not enter the facility until they meet the same criteria that's used for residents to discontinue transmission-based precautions. And that's another reason why the screening process really needs to be in place and, and look at you because you have to, facilities need to screen all who enter for those visitation exclusions. So you really want to make sure that you're catching the visitors, you're asking the questions, and you're helping them to educate them and to understand how important it is for them not to come in if they are positive, if they've been exposed, if they haven't completed that um, quarantine period, because then they're putting um, residents at risk. And uh, the guidance for that criteria, I'd love to be able to say to everybody today that I know what all those are. I mean, basically in, in my brain, I know the number 10 sticks out to me because for most of those things, it's like, I remember a 10 day time period. Um, and that's why we say frequently, and we do this here at the QIO is make sure that you're, you're 
jumping onto those CDC websites and, and, and CMS and keeping up with the current guidance. And that's one of the things that we try to do for you also. But it's very important to, to start that practice within the nursing home. But the guidance for what the quarantine criteria is can be found on the CDC website. And I think what nursing homes really need to think about in regards to this, though, is for those people who are are following those quarantine guidelines and not visiting, what are some alternatives for in-person visitation that you could do for them during the quarantine period? Um, You know, those things like providing video chats or phone calls or assisting residents with reading emails or text messages from family members who can't come in to visit. And uh, before we pivot to the next uh, next part of the guidance, is there anything else you want to add about the visitation policy? No, but one thing I do want to mention is as far as boosters, um, we did find out that the FDA did authorize the second booster dose of Pfizer or Moderna for people 50 years of age or older at least four months after receiving their first booster dose. Um, Now, what we don't know yet is whether this is going to impact what the definition of up-to-date is uh, because we haven't heard from either CDC or CMS um, on this most recent update. So if, you know, we don't know if eventually the language is going to change for um, our popu- the long-term care population to include that second booster dose and if that will impact what up-to-date means. Probably be hearing about that sometime soon. All right, so let's move on to the next thing. Um, so the other update is regarding COVID-19 testing in nursing homes. So starting with some background, uh, what was the guidance on that up until now? And the original guidance, and this was CMS memo QSO 2038 nursing home. And what that memo did, that guidance set guidelines for testing that included how frequently you needed to test, the criteria for testing, and then also the documentation and reporting requirements for nursing homes. And the original memo included a table summary that outlined your testing for staff and residents And it was based on whether they were symptomatic, identified as COVID positive, or if it was for routine testing requirements, which is recommended for staff, not for residents. Um, And then it also included a table for testing that was based on county level of community transmission. And it's the county level of community transmission that's used for healthcare facilities And that's a bit different from the CDC community level recommendations. So community level recommendations are for everybody that's not in a healthcare setting and the county level of community transmissions data is for healthcare facilities. And what is the new CMS guidance on COVID-19 testing in nursing homes? Well, this is again where sort of one change was just language. Um, The language was also changed to reflect what the the up-to-date and not up-to-date rather than using vaccinated or unvaccinated. And then the table one changes, really, it was just that language of um, rather than saying they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it states regardless of vaccination status. So it didn't really change anything. It was just the language that changed with that. 
Um, but the other change that was up to the updates was the recommendation for testing individuals within 90 days after recovering from COVID-19. Um, so in general, testing is not necessary for asymptomatic people who have recovered from SARS-CoV-2 infection in the prior 90 days. However, if testing is performed on these people, an antigen test instead of a NAT or nucleic acid amplification test is recommended. Try saying that three times fast. So, so if a test is done on someone who has recovered from COVID infection in the prior 90 days, they recommend that you use an antigen test instead of the NAT test. And that's because some people can remain NAT positive, but actually not be infectious during this period. And two things that I, I really want to point out with, with the testing is that the facility should test all staff who are not up to date at the frequency, and this is in the original guidance, but I think it's also really important to, to just mention while we're talking about this. Um, so this isn't a change, but I just think it's something important to, to mention that the test of staff who are not up to date um, should be done at the frequency that is prescribed in the routine testing table. And again, it's based on that level of community transmission reported in the past week. And again, this is where I say, you know, know what's happening there. There's the CDC website, there's the, the CD, CDC data tracker, the COVID data tracker, so that you can pull up what your level of community transmission is. And you facilities really should monitor their level of community transmission every other week and adjust the frequency of performing your staff testing according to the table above. And this is right out of the memo. This isn't me suggesting it or recommending it. Um, this is what's in the memo. So if the level of community transmission increases to a higher level of activity, then the facility should test the staff at the frequency shown in the table um, has the criteria for the higher activity level is met. And then if the level of community transmission does decrease to a lower level of activity, the facility should continue testing at the higher level until the community transmission has remained at the lower activity level for approximately two weeks before you reduce your testing frequency. Um, and that guidance uh, above rep rep represents, sorry, represents the minimum testing that's expected. And because facilities, nursing homes, we need to get, you need to consider in other factors. For instance, if you have, if the level of community transmission in a neighboring county uh, is to test at a higher frequency that's higher than what's in your county, um, you have to be aware of that because sometimes what happens very frequently is your facility is in a county with a low level of community transmission but you might have a lot of your staff who live in the next county where they have a moderate level of community transmission. And that's when the facility should consider testing based on that higher level of community transmission. And then the second thing, again, is just to say that, you know, continue to monitor the CDC webpage, the COVID tracker, um, and we're always available here for questions.
All right. So Penny, do you have any other remarks to add before we uh, start wrapping up and move on to questions? Well, I do want to share that, you know, guidance changes um, based on what we learn. So, uh, you know, it's always as we learn more, we know more, we do do better. Um, so, you know, as we learn more about the factors surrounding COVID, uh, that guidance does change. And um, as I said, we'll always keep working on trying to keep everybody as, as updated as possible. All right. So if you want to reach out to Penny directly, you can call her at Quality Insights. Her number is 1-800-642-8686. And then you enter the extension 7644. And you can also contact Penny via email at P-I-M-E-S at qualityinsights.org. Lastly, I want to say thank you to everyone who could join us today. And you can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org slash QIN vlogs and pods. That's V-L-O-G-S-N-P-O-D-S.